Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Jay Bentley Payne, a doctoral student and lecturer at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. How's it going, Jay? Mm, pretty good, Brett. How are you? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm cold. You're what's, cold. What's the weather in New Zealand like? Well, I mean, in general. Well, I mean, we live way up north, right at the top of the North Island at the moment. So it's actually amazing. <laughs> um, not to rub it in if you're cold. Wait, but, so uh, be, is is New Zealand below the equator? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, so your, we, your north that, is my south. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I live so in the we, north too. <laughs> you live in the north. You look, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah but you're, uh, you're sort of in the middle of the north, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's warm at the moment. I mean, we're just coming into summer, so yeah, and th- this is a, there's lots of problems of translation that we have between you and me. But one of them will probably be temperature, because I I would say what the temperature was, and you'd think that was cold anyway, right? No, say it. Uh, I think the temperature today is around twenty degrees. Twenty Celsius in Fahrenheit. Duck, duck, go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's sixty-eight. That's like my favorite temperature. Yeah, it's mine too. It's, I could do um, that all year long. Yeah, it's the perfect. Oh, we, we, moving up here, us, uh, you know, we, you and I were just talking before we came on, and and um, and there were good reasons. The temperate climate has. Um, I'm a little far away from work. It's actually four hours drive from here, but um, but yeah, for many many reasons, living up here has been great. It's actually four degrees Celsius here, which for right now, compared to two days ago, that is super warm. <laughs> uh, no thank you two days ago i woke up and it was 12 degrees fahrenheit which is negative 11 celsius yeah. and that's gonna be i think the winter here oh just so you know where i come from this is how you start every conversation if you yeah. listen to the show you're probably aware that the first thing that I comes am. out it's a force of habit for me talk about the weather no it's it's okay <laughs> i i uh i I always, I you know, I've thought a lot about this because it happens everywhere you go, and you think about it as the thing that we all have in common. So, you know, it does make sense that we talk about it. I find it especially fascinating when I talk to someone from far away from where I am, like in town in Minnesota. You see someone at the gas station, you say, "Hey, how about this weather we're having?" And <laughs> you both kind of already know what the weather is because you're both standing yeah. in it. Uh, but when yeah. you talk to someone far away, it's always it's. I have a curiosity, a Minnesotan curiosity about it. There you go. There All right. Go. So you, what? Well, I don't even know where to start because there's a lot. There's a <laughs> lot here. Um, let, let's actually start with uh, uh, Epidemic. Sure. Uh, you run a website, Epidemic, A-P-P-A, um, dot tech, where yeah. you, it's, I, I believe it specifically says not an Apple fan site. <laughs> yeah, I mean th- that's a little joke as well. It, 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 <laughs> I guess in a way it is, you know. It's uh, so I mean the idea is to to have something a little more specific. So the the workflows and reviews and the things that I do there, uh, sort of applying Apple Tech to a more academic, um, like just to the context of academic work really. But in saying that, I I, I think that. You know, that's just an excuse for me to do that, you know, because of the st- because I like that stuff and I'm interested in writing about it. Um, and it's also been a nice distraction for me to 
to get away from some of the other work that I've been doing as well. So it's it's a light relief and something that I enjoy doing. So it's been great. I've only been doing it for uh, um, for about six months now. So oh, and really? it's been going pretty well so far. Yeah, you have a fair amount of stuff on here for a, a baby site. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's <laughs> I'm a bit of a manic character, so I can churn <laughs> stuff out as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, most of what you cover here is tech software. I think mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did post a very kind review of uh, my my book with David Sparks, so thank you for that. No, you're very welcome. I enjoyed doing that. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I um, I I don't know if you noticed, but the further I went through it, I couldn't. Like, I wasn't even trying to, but the the jokes just kept coming out. There's a lot of kind of we call them dad jokes, you know, Lots yeah, of puns and stuff. So you you were smart to put it. a lot of them in footnotes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I try, I do my best not to expose myself too much. <laughs> oh, no, it was all very amusing. Um, right. It, does that just happen the longer you write, the the more tempted yeah. you are? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, you know, I, I had the, I had the book sitting here and I was, re and I guess that was just kind of an osmosis that was coming across from the books into the writing as well. So, but it was, uh, but it was great. And I, I, um, I tried to convey the i guess the the kind of extra stuff that you i i didn't even know if you guys are aware that it's in there you probably are but but that's what i you know that's what i got out of it is i enjoyed picking up or like getting a little bit of an insight into into not just those tips but but you know having a window into the way that you're working as well because yeah yeah i did see the uh there was a paragraph about complex tagging systems and all of the other <laughs> things you spied <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep all right so speaking of writing you're also working on a phd i am yeah i assume there's yeah. a lot of writing involved in what you're doing right now yeah i mean my uh my my background is is sort of in philosophy and in critical theory and so that you know it's writing all the way down it's reading and writing um in fact it, it's it's a way of kind of eschewing the real academic work of research because i don't really do that <laughs> to be honest i'm not doing anything that anyone would consider science that's for sure um but then again i would contest that some of my colleagues are doing science as well so <laughs> so what is the uh, what's the focus of your phd it started out uh so uh, uh, yeah that's that's a, that's like um the worst possible question that you can ask someone who's doing You're a PhD, welcome. but I'm going to, I'm going to try. Thank you for that. I'm going to try and sum it up. <laughs> uh, it started out, uh, I was working on, on the idea. Um, it's, it's around sort of subjective construction of thought and ideology that goes into, um, just call them political moments or political events. And in the history of New Zealand, we have, um, the most significant one that people would know about is the Treaty of Waitangi, which is sort of the foundational document of New Zealand. And um, it's very, it's it's quite unique. Uh, but the there's one thing that I found in a philosophical sense it's never really talked about, and that's the the should we call it the worldview, uh, the way the kind of perception of of the meaning of the different kind of terms that were involved in that agreement between Māori at the time and between um, you know, the English colonists or the, uh, the, you know, the two different parties of that particular agreement. So that's where it started, but it, it, um, it's sort of become, it's morphed into something a little bit different. So I, my interest is really, 
uh, yeah, that led to an interest in time, which led to an interest in uh, the kind of cultural perception of time. Um, for for Māori, for example, time, and they call it whakapapa, the time, like time is always, the things that have happened is always with us. So whereas like in a, in a kind of a Western sense, we, we think of, we, we have different concepts and we have different linear concepts of time and we sort of think of, of moments of having passed and we can reflect on them as particular moments. But those moments for Māori are always present. So time is not kind of, con, is not conceived of in a kind of finitude like we conceive of it. And, and that, you know, that to me has a big impact on when you, when you look at writing in something like a treaty. So, um, yeah, it's another, I mean, I, this is a pattern for me, but if, if it was another, as an excuse, if you like, to, to kind of write about the things that I'm really interested in. Huh. Wow. Does it, does any of that make sense? It, yeah. Well, I mean, I couldn't like converse intelligently with you about the topics, but the topics make sense. Yeah, sure. I'm sure you could. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah no that sounds fascinating actually I actually I was just listening to sorry to interrupt you I was just uh, I was just listening to you the, to the um, the episode that you did with your rabbi friend yeah and he was talking about he was talking about finitude and um, that's actually that the way that he described it I'm envious because there was a there was a, a kind of um, an ease at describing it with sort of everyday language. And that, I think that's a big problem for academics, right? It's because, you know, like um, actually having a way of communicating ideas that makes them wor- makes them worth communicating. And That's why you're not um, clergy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I could talk long enough um, to be clergy. I'm not sure I make enough sense, though. Yeah. Anyway, I, th- I found that really interesting because I, I it was one of the concerns that I have. And one of the philosophers that I've been working with is a, is a guy called Alain Badiou. He's a, um, I say working with, I mean, I've been reading his work, um, although I did meet him. Uh, but he, one of his major concerns is with the idea of finitude. And, um, and this is, you know, this flows back into all kinds of things and particularly the way we think about our politics. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> so um, now we're going to backtrack like okay. way back, like your whole life. Oh, okay. So based on what you've told me and uh, our pre-show conversation, you and I have a lot in common as far as things like mm-hmm. bipolar, ADHD, addiction. Uh, even some of our uh, early years were uh, mm. somewhat parallel and uh, yeah. somehow you, you came out and you're, we'll say, 40 and working on a PhD and you're a father and all of these things. How do you think you got here? How did you live to here? <laughs> well, you know, that uh, that's probably the most salient question. I'm sure I'm sure you ask that of yourself sometimes. But yeah, I mean, through a series of of. Um, of accidents and, and, um, and, you know, well to survive through all of that kind of stuff for sure. But uh, I would say now, um, you know, through, I guess by, uh, and you would have heard this many times and I'm, I'm you know, I, we, we haven't, we've only just met each other, so we haven't even got to that conversation yet, but that, my support structure, I suppose, has been the thing that, that has actually kind of 
held me together and, and, and allowed me to kind of overcome a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, I think you get old enough, you get to the point where you, you just have to make a choice, right? Um, and that's, you know, are you going to carry on with some of those things or are you going to try and actually do something? And, and um, I, I've... I, and I ran into a few things that kind of forced me into decisions that 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 probably um, put me back on track. But um, but that doesn't you know that's to kind of undersell the fact that I've I've stayed there, I suppose. So yeah, it. Um, I mean, I couldn't tell you the one thing. I'm just like I'm sure you couldn't. But um, but I sure am thankful. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, I would say a lot of luck and a good support structure. Yeah. Yeah, luck, luck does come into it. And it's, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I've never been a very, I've never been very good at making good decisions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can make them. I mean, like actually, one of, like indecision is one of the biggest kind of irritations of my life. I find it really, really difficult to deal with an indecision, my own, but also all of the indecision around me. Um, so you know, I, I guess that that. Um, that has played out in different ways. And one of the ways it's played out is, and I've made a lot of bad decisions. So, um, but you learn from those things. And, um, I mean, nowadays I have a, I have a two and a half year old son. And if, if that ain't going to hold, if that ain't going to keep you together. Nothing is <laughs> too bad. I got a vasectomy. <laughs> yeah. You got dogs though, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and but you know, you know what I mean? I'm talking about, I do. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about finding something that actually matters to you because this is the thing about, uh, and and everyone has a different reasons to falling into those kind of patterns of behavior, and you know whether it, whether it comes back to, and in many ways it does, the fact that you have that kind of glitch deep inside you, um, but but I think there's a kind of a nihilism involved too at times, and especially as an addict, you you know like if you go too far, if you end up far enough down that road, and um, then yeah, I mean, you can, you let go of all the things around you that really, really matter and you lose perspective on those things. So once you're able to gain some perspective on that, then all of the hard work that's involved in overcoming it is not so bad. Do you find you have a, uh, a need on like a certain cycle to just allow things to burn down and, and start again? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I, like I've been grappling with, it wasn't until this year that I, I actually started to um, address my ADHD. So I, I've been grappling with the kind of intersection between these things and the way they affect, um, you know, the way the different kind of disorders affect the other ones. And, but, but a lot of it is cyclical and you do, and I do get this impulse where I, where I, I can't even describe it, but I, I'm, I'm thinking things are just ticking along too nicely, though. you know, <laughs> boring and quiet. Like let's, where's the match? You know? Yeah. So mm. I, I found I'm on like a approximately four year cycle. If I look back at my mm. life, uh, just about every four years, give or take a year sometimes, yeah. uh, yeah. everything. And it's not like I make, well, I guess I have made plenty of conscious decisions, but I don't do it with the intention of destroying. No, no. I do it with the intention of improving it. Mm. A lot of times improving ends up meaning burning it down and letting it grow back like a prairie. <laughs> yeah. Are you, do you find you're getting, you're um, getting hold of that impulse a bit more as you get older? 
Hmm. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, I can't see. <laughs> I can't see this stuff coming half the time. To be honest, I, you know, I, like I always, I, 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 doctors talk about triggers and things like this, but, um, and it's fine for you to, and you can definitely know what they are, but sometimes you wake up in the middle of them, you know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, mo the most recent time that I burned everything down, I I don't feel like it was triggered, and I don't feel like it was. Mm boredom i guess i was frustrated with the situation but it was yeah i i'm not even sure like i i'm pretty sure the first time i ever burned everything down it was not on purpose uh mm. it was like i in within the span of a week i lost my girlfriend of three years i got kicked out of my band i lost my apartment i ended up in rehab like mm. this wasn't intentional yes like my all my own decisions led to that moment yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah it wasn't like I first stuck a needle in my arm thinking, I can't wait until this comes to a head <laughs> and I lose everything. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, um, it, it certainly, it, it, it does, yeah, it is going to result in something, but I don't know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure whether intentionality is kind of the most, you know, the biggest um, driver of those particular impulses. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. also, I mean, this is a, I've, part of the reason I went back and started studying philosophy was to, to understand some of these impulses about myself. Not only that, to kind of keep my mind busy, because I think that, uh, you know, I found that if I would, I mean, for example, and I, I'm sure that you can relate to this, I, I just can't function in a normal workplace. I can't do it. Yeah, I just, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I, I was never able to hold a job down. And when I, the first time I did, it was because, I was being sent all over the world and I was doing stuff on my own time and I had no one looking over my shoulder and, um, and you know, whether that was good or good for me or not. But, um, you know, I, I found that I needed to keep my mind busy because I would find reasons to light the match, you know, and, and that's been for me, like the best thing keeping busy. And that, I mean, that's not always entirely healthy either, but it is better to keep yourself busy doing um, should we call them productive things? Then it is, you know, doing non, the other non-self-destructive things anyway. Yeah, exactly. I went to a job interview last week. Um, Ooh, I've been working. You in, okay? <laughs> I've been working independent for like a decade now. Uh, well, no, mm -hmm. five years independent, but working from home and uh, from you know the comfort of my basement most of the time for almost fifteen years. Um, yeah. But I was, I was curious. Um, so I, I accepted a job interview and it was a bit of a drive about, uh, 40 minutes. And, uh, during the drive, I realized that the feeling in my stomach wasn't like, uh, nervousness about the interview or a fear of rejection as much as it was, um, dread at the idea of going <laughs> into an office. Yeah. And, uh, so by the time I got there, I decided that it absolutely wasn't what I wanted, but I was going to do it anyway. Because, mm. like, I, yeah. I've made it through to, like, stage three of Google interviews and then been like, you know what? I don't think I want this and pulled out. Yeah. And just once I was going to follow through with one. And um, as soon as I had parked and paid four fifty for parking, I got a text from the guy who was supposed to meet. He's like, hey, can we reschedule? I'm kind of swamped today. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I drove 40 minutes, paid for gas, paid for parking, and then he basically clenched it for me. I was like, yep, nope, that wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. 
Huh, I felt yeah. much better driving home. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, sometimes you got to kick the tires just to know, know that that the situation you've set up for yourself is the one that you want to continue with for sure. But and you guys have a. I mean, we have we have a kind of, a, I guess, a social structure here that provides some sort of a safety net. It's not much, but um, but occasionally when I've ever kind of dropped off the face of the earth, I've I've um, you know, I've been able to kind of um, use that to to at least get a get a step up to to pull myself back together but um and i was i would always end up with a job and um it just wouldn't last because i just couldn't i you know that that i would find reasons to just kind of look around i I think i've heard you describe it as meat world once yeah yeah and it's that this kind of you know, I'd find myself kind of disgusted with like the routine of it or just the kind of like inane conversations I'd find myself in or just any, any part of it. And I, I couldn't, I could never buy into it. And that just makes you feel like an outcast and that, that, that can tend to drive you towards destructive behavior as well. Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, for me, I mean, you know, you don't become an academic or you don't start kind of writing independently or doing any of those things because you want to be an independently wealthy or anything like that. It's just, (laughs) You know, but you make this. I, I found that I've made these these choices, and I've been a happier person. And I think that way I can, you know, I can be a better partner and a better father, and all these kinds of things. That I'm not going to be making my, you know, my son's not going to be inheriting a lot of wealth, but uh, he might get something <laughs> else from me. Yeah. Yeah. Another reason I didn't uh, want to have children, aside from not wanting to pass on all of my, uh, we'll just say, faulty genetic characteristics. Um, oh, I've grappled with that. Well, and to to be fair, like my brother and sister seem fine. I feel like I got something's wrong with me. It's in a, I'm not ripping on my parents or anything, but I didn't want someone to go through what I've been through. So mm. that was part of it. And the other part is knowing myself, knowing that even if I did pull it together and start making enough money to have a decent retirement fund, the chances that me and my personality are going to die with anything in the bank pretty mm, slim. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to put a kid through that either. So, mm. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I went through that a lot. I, I just happened to have ended up in a relationship where, where it became much more possible for me because, because I don't, you know, while all of those things are true for me, they're not true f- for my partner. So, um, you know, that makes the equation look a lot different. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, um, uh, yeah, I can, I can certainly respect that. I really can. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I know what goes into making those decisions. I just happened to have come out on the other side of it, but you know, I could have been that way too, for sure. So I think the place where our, our life stories diverge most significantly is, uh, the, <laughs> um, traveling busking pouring drinks carrying bags <laughs> for wealthy people because that brought you to multiple countries mm, and yeah. really it sounds like multiple uh lives almost yeah definitely you know when i was a um when i was a kid we moved around a lot i went to uh, i think if i count them it was about 11 schools and um that kind of so that itinerance just becomes like settles in and becomes part of you. So I, um, I, I had the inclination. We're talking about you know burning things down. For me, part of that process for me was running away, 
and so I, you know, I traveled, I traveled a lot and, um, and it was great, but it was also, you know, I was often kind of cutting myself loose from the support, support structure that I needed to kind of keep myself together. And I suppose in a way, once I decided that I could, you know, stay put for a while, then things miraculously started to get better for me. Go Surprise. figure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I did. I like, I have. I, you know, I have moved around a little. I, I spent a little bit of time in the States as well. I was up in Portland, Oregon for a little while, briefly. Yeah. Uh, that, that was great. I got some really great friends up there, actually. Um, you know, I lived in Europe. I lived in, I, li- I had two cents living in London, a total of four years living over there. Um, that's not good for an addict. What, London? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, just the big cities in general, I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, the more you live, living in New Zealand, this is, um, I think, you know, unless you kind of, it's it's like anywhere in, in many ways, your social cir- circle and your, the connections that you have dictate what's available and what kind of decisions are available to you. But um, it's not quite that straightforward when you're in a big city. Things are much more, kind of, you know, it's easier to get into trouble, should we say. Right. So, so um, but I lived in Melbourne. Uh, that was probably the most formative. I lived in Melbourne for, for three years and I was writing for street press, doing music reviews and playing in bands and that sort of, you know, just having a wild time. It was, it was great. But um, yeah, I was uh, kind of a disheveled waif when I left that place. So <laughs> yeah, it, all good things must come to an end. Yeah, the extent of my moving around was mostly Upper East Coast here. And yeah. I, I will say New York was bad for me. Mm. Um, everything that I wanted was much cheaper there. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. often stronger. Yeah. And it actually, in the end, when I moved back to the Minnesota region, it was beneficial because nothing you get here. Yeah. For 10 times the price <laughs> is half as good. And yeah. it kind of makes you... I, the city I live in right now, it's a small town, but there's there's crack, there's coke, there's heroin. Like, you can get it all mm-hmm. here, but it's all such crap <laughs> that I'm not ever even tempted. That's You never really gave up drugs because, uh, because you wanted to stop. It's just because the merchandise was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> you could say yeah, that. No, but I know, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I, you know, I live in New Zealand. It's... Um, um, where it's it's one of the most isolated places you could possibly be. Although not quite, uh, you know, I've heard some, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around how backward we are. For example, you and I are talking over the internet here, so we have the internet. <laughs> you have a university. We do have a university, that's true. Roads, telephones, those Actually, things. Actually, I, I don't know anything about New Zealand. Like, I, I don't have any perception of it either way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a, just a it's a modern Western country, basically. It's just a lot smaller. I mean, we ha- there are four and a half million people here. Um, we have the flight of the Concords. <laughs> that I do know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I um, you know, I could sell it to you more if you want. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, we I got think good, good coffee. I think what you're describing is the same thing that I I deal with living in Minnesota. Yeah. The rest of the country. At least the the parts that I care about, they they think I live in a backwards place, but it's actually quite modern and progressive. And I spent a lot of my life defending Minnesota. Yeah, but it's okay because I love it. Yeah, I'm. I um, 
I, I spent a lot of time, as we've alluded to already, of running away from New Zealand, but it, but you know, ultimately, I couldn't think of a better place to to live and raise my son. So, I'm um, yeah. pretty, you know, glad that I moved back here. That's for sure. Nice. So, mm. there one more topic I want to hit before we get to the top three picks. Sure. And I know this is a huge topic, but um, it's fa- I've been fascinated by what you've said to me about this so far. Uh, let's talk about the, we'll say, uh, illness, uh, the physical mm. illness that you went through and, and what that's caused. Yeah. Um, it's, all right, yeah, if I'm, if I'm hesitating, it's not because I have any kind of, um, any concern about talking about it. It's just one of those things that's quite difficult to put into words as we, we spoke before we came on earlier. And so I, uh, I had a, I had a massive trauma to my bowel. I had a, had a long time ago, back in 2004, I had a, had a big operation and I had a piece of my bowel taken out. So, um, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't very pleasant, but, um, but things kind of ostensibly went back to normal after that for, uh, let me see, it was 2012. So it was about eight years later that I, that it all kind of, um, turned about again. So I, in 2012, my bowel just collapsed again, it blocked up and I ended up being hospitalized. But, but that, um, what that <laughs> I won't describe, there's actually a lot of really, really gruesome details to it, but, um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll spare anyone listening, um, those because yeah, I don't know, you probably want to hang on to your dinner. Um, anyway, I, what happened was that it, um, it made my nervous system go completely berserk. So I have this thing called sensitization. Um, it's a, it's a rare disorder of the nervous system, which means that my brain perceives pain in a, in like a different way to most people. So the pain that I experience and the kind of random pains that I get, I, I have, I have, I kind of live with chronic pain, but, um, well, kind of, I do live with chronic pain. It's <laughs> something that's with me all the time. Um, I tell you what, though, it gives you a kind of a deprecating sense of humor. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it. I mean, the interesting thing is that that it all a lot of these things, and, and what I've learned about it is that you know, it's all happening in the brain. So, the effect that it have it changes your brain quite significantly. So it affected all kinds of things. It affected my memory. It affected. Um, I mean, at the time, probably affected my personality, but um, just the kind of sheer bloody-minded nature of who I am meant that that came around pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I still live with it now, and it means that I had to change certain aspects of my lifestyle, and um, and it even kind of interrupted my study and my work, and it meant that we moved and all that, all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether you had any specific questions you wanted to ask about it. Yeah. So the the effects that it had on things like memory, are those uh, are they caused by the same thing that causes the the like the neural pain for you or is the memory loss caused by the excessive pain? Yeah, that that's a really good question. That's the, the both those things. So um wait when you treat pain, you talk about, they talk about modulation. So that can be, um, like the best analogy I can think of for it is that when you modulate pain, you try and kind of take the, the brains or, or put your attention somewhere else, so to speak. This is the same way that mindfulness works, right? Um, 
So, and actually mindfulness is one of the things that, that you do in order to treat this kind of pain. Um, but also when you, when you flood the neural pathways with something that's kind of foreign, then your, your, your brain tries to kind of map them in all kinds of different ways to, to protect you from the, you know, the way that, uh, well, just the, the overflow of information, if you like. Um, and so that, that means that, that things that the, the normal areas of the brain that perceiving pain are kind of like overflowing with information and that's flowing into other parts of the brain. So, and, and, um, this is a, this is a bit of a double edged sword because when you treat this kind of pain, you, you do things in order to actually kind of encourage that remapping. So we, you and I talked about, uh, stroke victims earlier and about that kind of mirror treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, when a certain part of the brain is not responding appropriately and telling the body to do the right thing, that one way that you can address that is by, by tricking it. So you kind of, you give that information a detour through the brain. So it's, it's almost like certain things kind of shut down or change because you're, you need those parts of the brain to kind of address the most intense problem that you're experiencing and um when it's when it's chronic pain and pain that's kind of coming through or pain in some sense comes through the nervous system but that particular overloading of the nervous system means that you know that the brain um and the brain's incredible in terms of the plasticity and its ability to change it never actually it never stops changing of course um and you know that's good news uh, it's bad news to get this condition, trust me. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, but it's good news that there is plasticity in the brain so that you can actually address it in particular ways and, and find ways to overcome it. A good example of that is that when I when I first was experiencing it, um, the, it, it, makes you, it makes you seem mad. I mean, now, I, there are all kinds of reasons that I might seem mad, <laughs> but um, and some of them would be fair enough. But... Um, but this the, the most frustrating thing about it is the inability to kind of describe it the fact that for one thing you've been told that it's not there right that you're that there's no kind of physical sign that there's anything wrong with you um and but the good news about that is that you can actually find ways to address it and start to overcome it and modulate it to the point that you can bear with it more so what i experience these days is much more bearable than what it was when i was first experiencing it. It's still not, it's still no fun. And it still requires that I, that I'm quite dedicated about, you know, like I, I have to walk every day. And, um, this actually the reason I got into podcasts is because I'm out walking every day, um, morning and night. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, it is, it's one of those topics that, it, it kind of dovetailed with some of my interests, but it also, you know, in an ironic way, it kind of interrupted the fact that I was, um, uh, you know, I could pursue those things. So in terms of the ability of my brain to operate, I, I found it difficult to read. Um, I had this episodic aphasia thing happening for a while where I, uh, I would go to say something and the wrong words would come out. And um, I think I joked about that with you earlier. That's um, a really awkward thing to have happen in social um, situations. So sure. I, yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively kind of, I don't know if I'd call myself an extra, but I'm, I'm a, I'm an open and social person, fairly garrulous. You know, I get on with people pretty well, 
but it makes you kind of withdraw because you know you can't be sure of how how whether or not your intentions are actually going to play out in reality and when your brain's behaving like that it can um, yeah it can be yeah I quite mean, I'm never sure of that even when I do have <laughs> the right words yeah me too I mean I have that anyway but yeah but the other thing was that I, like I would find that I would go to put one leg out and the other one would move and these sorts of things and and a lot of and that was happening when I was treating it as well because we we're trying to um you know trying to teach the brain the difference between hurt and harm and so hurt hurt you know that it, it um it actually serves a function if um you've heard about people who don't have a pain response yeah. that's an incredibly dangerous thing you know right. i mean you you can see that you see it in children actually my my son broke his collarbone recently and um he like the difference between the way that we as adults would address that in the way that he as a child that, that because he kind of lives in these kind of little time increments that moment to moment you couldn't tell whether he would remember that it was broken or not <laughs> and so yeah um and I, like i think in a way when you like there's there's a kind of like a regression that happens in your brain when you experience something like this and you have to go back and teach it to, to, to understand things again and hurt the difference between hurt and harm is probably the most significant one so if you um, you know, on the one hand, that if you know that something's going to hurt you, then it can protect you. But on the other hand, if you think everything's going to hurt you, then that can be completely debilitating as well. For sure, yeah. Mm. So, was yeah. there a how long a period of time was there between the onset of this and some kind of diagnosis and treatment schedule? Mm, yeah. Uh, so I was hospitalized with the with the, the when the bowel collapsed and blocked up and and that was in hospital for about a week then actually the first time I ever met my um my girlfriend's parents was just lying in a hospital bed so um yeah that was a good look <laughs> yeah but um I was in and out probably like three or four times over that couple of months before um a specialist finally picked it up and they had a they had, he had a lot of really crazy he was a rheumatologist which is kind of uh, but he had ended up specializing in this because there's it's one of those esoteric areas of medicine that people um, that there's not a lot of people who specialize in it because it's it's you know it's ghost science so it's very very difficult to test. Um, but he, and there are ways to test it, and there and there are, are some telltale signs. And um, the way that you react to certain touch touches, the way that there's a kind of translucency that happens in the skin that they can they can see. Which and and I couldn't really explain that part to you because it just sounded completely wacky to me. I had no idea why my skin would be telling him that my brain was was um, wiring itself all wrong, but apparently it did. Um, and the other thing was that that there was uh, there's probably kind of a predisposition that I had this thing before where I was kind of um, sensitized to, to touch and noise and these sorts of things anyway. And this just amplified it like out of control. Um, so I was able to, I kind of, ironically, I had some of the language to describe some of the things that were happening to me as, as things that I was almost used to. And, um, when I started describing the sensations that I had to this particular specialist, he sort of, you know, he moved on to the test straight away. Now it's like, um, you know, we talked about briefly about ADHD, that, that finding out that was a revelation for me for a whole lot of things, like, sure. you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> what, particular kind of um, proclivities that I 
have or particular ways that I would I would behave or my like sheer skill at BS, you know, um, that's th- th- those sorts of things became became really clear. Uh, um, the revelation when I was diagnosed with the sensitization was similar in that it just all of the thing, all of the strange, weird, crazy things that were happening to me suddenly made sense. And I mean, you know yourself that these things are difficult when like putting a label on things can be really, really tricky because on the one hand, then you get all the stereotypes and things that come with it and you can get put in a box and that can be really bad. On the other hand, you can have a frame of reference and you can start to kind of look at ways to treat it. And, um, and you know, that's, that's what that diagnosis provided me with is, a way to start going about changing things. It also legitimated my um, desire to never have a real job. Of course. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I do know. Uh, especially my my ADHD diagnosis actually made my addic- addiction make a lot more sense to me. Yeah, me um, too. I and I I'm fairly certain that addiction and ADHD are are common overlaps. Mm, Um, but I also had, I, I'm really sensitive to sound and touch and being treated for ADHD actually as a side effect, greatly reduced that, which also fully, it made me capable of like interacting with the world in, uh, sane ways. Yeah. Although you say sane, but then you did go for a job interview. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I had a sane response to it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. This episode is sponsored by Text Expander. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me talk about my love of Text Expander, but I really want to talk to you about what Text Expander can do for entire businesses. In a business environment, everyone probably has some form of marketing message in their email signature. Now let's say you want to make a minor branding change or launch a new product or service. You'll probably want to update that signature for everyone on the team. Without Text Expander, your marketing person would send an email with the new text to everyone and maybe half the company would update. With Text Expander, your marketing person edits the shared snippet and it's instantly available to everyone on your team on all of their devices. They didn't need to do anything. The right person just made the edits and everyone is up to date. And Think of the possibilities for customer support. Your CS team is already saving a ton of time with Text Expander by automating repetitive responses and with shared snippets, one person can update standard responses for everyone. No extra communication with the team needed, they're just up to date, consistent, and accurate. That's the power and magic of shared snippets and just a couple examples of what your team can do to communicate smarter with Text Expander. Visit textexpander.com/podcast for 20% off your first year. A big thanks to Text Expander and Smile for their continued support of Systematic. All right. So should we should we do some top three picks? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. Um, I assume you know how this works, but it'll be okay. one at a time back and forth. Okay. Guest goes first. Okay, so the first one I picked was a, was a New Zealand. I thought that, you know, I could... Uh, introduce a little New Zealand culture to the show. So I I, um, I picked a New Zealand band called the Phoenix Foundation. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a I have a bit of a personal relationship with these guys. Actually, the um, one of the main songwriters is a cousin of my partner's. So um, 
but and but that aside, I would have loved the band anyway. Though I really, uh, yeah, I don't know if if you'd say they're sort of indicative of of New Zealand music, but it'd be ridiculous to say that anything was indicative of New Zealand <laughs> music, to be honest. But I think that, um, uh, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I, I just looking at some of the music that you were, you were interested in and some of the picks that have come up in the past, and I, I just had a feeling that if you listen to it, you might like it. And uh, I did go and, listen to it. Mm, yeah, I they've developed a lot over the years, and they actually those guys have done a lot of work with um, uh, a lot of soundtrack work. So we're, we're um, I joked about the Flight of the Concords earlier. They've connected with um, with Brett from Flight of the Concords, who nice. um, you know the He's the Muppet songwriter, yes, as well. Also, the good-looking yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're both good-looking. <laughs> yeah, they're funny guys. But um, but yeah, the, the, one of the jokes about New Zealand is we, you know, it's a everybody knows everybody, and and um, it's not entirely true, but it's not entirely wrong either. Um, but yeah, it's there. It is the Phoenix Foundation. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's mellow music. Mm. Yeah, I, I, that's, I, for me, that's back. not like uh, not something I would go find on my own. But it, it mm. I listened to about five songs. Mm. I, I think it's really good. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I could easily if, if, if like I, my music tastes are eclectic. So, I, uh, I could, you know, if you want something a little more, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You want something to give you a bit more of a release, and I've got plenty of tips for that too. Um. <laughs> I yeah. just realized Mayhem is from New Zealand. I Mayhem, have no idea. They, Metal band. They like it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Are they from New Zealand? Really? Yeah, and so is Sabbath. Yeah. I think um, if if this band or this website, nzmetal.com, is to, to be believed, maybe they're just touring in. Let's see. I'm not sure. Oh, um, I might be. Yeah, I think the Norwegian that may, may yeah that 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 sounds more correct to me. Yeah, it it's, looks I like mean, there's only about forty metal bands in all of New Zealand. Yeah, Backyard Burial, uh, Beast Wars. <laughs> yeah, you you might like Beast Wars. Beast Beast Wars are um, um, but it's it's more like sort of that drone core, like heavy, yeah, um, slow core of you know. Um, yeah, see, yeah. I've learned that what does it for me with metal is speed. Like it's yeah, not right. like the really fast hard metal actually calms me down. I think more clearly. I don't. It doesn't agitate me the way that it seems to. Um, we'll say normal people. Um, yeah. But if it's slow and noisy and like noise rock and drone and all of these, actually, they make my brain hurt. Mm, I've learned yeah, this about okay. myself. Mm. Do you do you like uh, instrumental stuff? It depends mm. on what kind of instruments. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I I wonder if you might like a a, a New Zealand band called the Skeptics. Uh, it's not it's not um it's not metal or anything, but there uh I mean there were there's a lot of um what, there's a famous New Zealand music label called Flying Nun. And uh, the skeptics were, um, although what you've just described, I mean, I wouldn't, it's not metal by any means, but it's kind of, um, it, it's, it's almost like the kind of post hardcore music before 
hardcore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of what a, like a, like a proto hardcore band. Um, pre-core, pre-core. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, it, it might actually be, I, I mean, to be fair, I, I, um, obviously wanted to share that music with you, but I, but, but you know, there's your audience to think of as well. I know you have to, you have to be kind to people. Hmm. I, so it, when you, what I'm hearing when you say it is skeptics, are you saying skeptics? <laughs> skeptics. Skeptic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew we'd get over this language barrier. Yeah. From 1979 to 1990, that's a good run. All right, I will, uh, I will, I will check that out. I so I want to replace one of my picks now, but what? Hey, it's your show, man. I know. I I I'm so tempted to just make Flight of the Concords one of my picks. (laughs) Whoa, it's a great pick. Is it? Can I do that? You can do that. All right, I'll replace my one really weird pick with. uh, Flight of the Concords, my favorite New Zealand band. Also, the only band I knew was from New Zealand until just now. The um, New Zealand's fourth favorite folk rock band. <laughs> it probably says that on their posters, doesn't it? They, 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 they do say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there was a song. It was it was in their their TV series. Um, I think I think it was called What's Going On. Yeah. Or what's yeah. happening? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. Uh, junkies that, um... in the alley, fork, <laughs> fork sticking out of their knees. Somebody, please remove this cutlery from my knee. <laughs> Leave those poor sick monkeys alone. <laughs> um, yes, these are random lines from a song that, if you haven't heard it, won't make any sense. But I will link that song. It's hilarious. They, I, I really, I really like the fact that that humor was able to translate so well because it is it is quite it's you know it's quite distinctive of of new zealand humor is it taika waititi have you have you i haven't seen it yet but um as he's just just thor ragnarok has just come out and um he, he he's linked up with these guys as well and they did a they did a movie called um and this is like this is I'm cheating here because it's kind of like a, a bonus, but um, this uh, it was called "What We Do in the Shadows." Have yes, you seen that? I have. Yes, yeah. So that 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 humor and the flight of the Concord's humor is just yeah. Like that movie, I found I found very, um, I, I found it very funny. But two people that <laughs> I've watched it with, I've seen it twice now. Neither of them could stay away yeah. through it. Like they just yeah, didn't right. find it entertaining. Yeah. It was, yeah, there's definitely something. I think my sense of humor has never won me points here. <laughs> okay. So you do all right. Yeah. So I seem to do, <laughs> I do better with very foreign senses of humor, foreign to what is standard here, I guess. Yeah. I grew up on British comedy. Yeah. I, you know, we've actually, we've just been watching the latest, um, and this is more cheating, but we're watching the latest uh, Red Dwarf. So um, that's been great. When you, know, you say love... the latest Red Dwarf. Well, you... they just re- recently released the, um, at the moment, there's a run of se- the 12th series what? of Red Dwarf. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, now I have homework. Man. You do. You do. Um, and uh, I, okay, so I guess that's my, my turn to go, isn't it? It yeah. truly um, is. 
Okay, so uh, <laughs> enough delaying, Jay. Get on with the job. Uh, it, it, I, I, I chose, and can I, can, I can, surely I can say the entire title here, can I? Oh, for sure, yeah. Okay. So I mean, it's I, the name of a book, right? It is, yeah. All spare. This is literature. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the pick that I had was, was Harry Frankfurt's um, seminal work on bullshit. Now, I, I, I think this is kind of a, um, this should be this is a set text at the moment because of uh, the cultural moment that we that we live in. And uh, I don't know, have you ever come across it before? Uh, no, I hadn't. I did some research after you mentioned it. It's a um, it's a short read, um, but I but I think that it's it's nice because it's making the distinction between lies and bullshit. And we, given that we live in, in what people are calling a post-truth moment, it's really, really um, topical, I would say. And the, the idea is that, that lies, lies have a regard for the truth. So when you lie, you know that you're, you're like, there's a reference point, which is the truth. You're specifically saying something that has within it the idea that the opposite is true. Whereas bullshit has a disregard for the truth entirely. So it doesn't even, it doesn't matter what's true in the world of bullshit. And um, I don't think you'd have to go far to uh, work out what I'm getting at there. Um, but yeah, suffice to say, you know, like what happens in your country, the rest of us, we, we can't <laughs> deny it. Yeah. He also has the books on truth and on inequality. And I feel yeah. like if he put out one called On the American Way, we could make a new <laughs> Truth, inequality, and the American way. Mm, yeah, well, you so, might, and um, it would be sold as the frequently bought together on Amazon because right now Amazon tells me that I should buy on bullshit, on truth, and assholes a theory by Aaron James. <laughs> it's just, um, come on. I mean, this is where <laughs> also <laughs> confessions by Saint Augustine. Okay, the, uh, I thought for a minute there that the kind of like the the rudimentary machine learning just thought that you liked cussing. I for a second there, yes, but then they stuck truth. Yeah. Although truth might be a bad word these days, who knows? Well, yeah, I mean, this is that's a reference point. I, I actually, you know, I, the some of the philosophical work that I was doing and have been doing has been about truth and. Yeah, people seem to mean different things when they talk about truth these days. Yeah, because we have alternative facts now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I was, uh, you know, I mean, my stomach has gotten a lot better, but uh, I can still turn. <laughs> can still turn. Yeah. Yeah, politics can't be good for uh, uh, <laughs> stomach condition. No, no. Well, you know, as I said to you before, I was I was heavily engaged in, in politics when that, when that all happened. So. Yeah. Um, who's to say what the what the direct link was? <laughs> mm. I think it'd be fair to uh, pontificate. <laughs> yeah, I um, can do that. I'm sure you and I could do that all day. <laughs> all right. Well, so my second pick then is going to be an iPhone game. I believe it's David Sparks mentioned this to me. Um, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or not, but uh, Never Alone key edition mm. uh i've been playing it on my iphone it may also be on apple tv and elsewhere I, it probably look great on an ipad pro but it's this game where you play a young inuit girl and uh you you go on 
missions. It's like a very, it's a quest type of game. And the graphics are amazing. And you immediately, when you start, you meet a, uh, a small fox, a white fox. And it follows you wherever you go. And then you can actually tap a button and you become the fox. And whichever character is moving, the other character will follow. But uh, like the girl can't climb up ice walls, whereas the fox is a little more nimble with it. Uh, the fox yeah. can talk to these kind of spirit creatures that will come down and give you a platform to step on but the girl can't summon them so you have to be the right character at the right time and nice. move together as a pair if either one of them is injured the game ends because like if the if the fox falls off a cliff the girl just falls to her knees and cries and the screen goes black uh, so uh, like they are they're intrinsically connected and wow. you have to play both i am um, uh... I, I got to admit, I, I'm, I've wanted to get into games more than I have ever been able. And, um, and, but you know, I'm, maybe this is an opportunity. Well, I, uh, I should so give it I, a go. I've been examining what kind of games it is I like because I have never been a gamer. Um, yeah. I played some Doom on my old PC. I, I enjoyed Atari games. But then once everyone started getting Nintendo 64s and on, there were very few games that were interesting enough to me to dedicate that kind of time to. And yeah, I that's did, always been the problem. I bought the an time. Xbox and I bought like bio whatever. And I bought a few games that I thought looked really great. And maybe just based on that alone, I would get into them. And I never did just couldn't, but on my iPhone, there are games like threes that have been on my iPhone since like my iPhone two and yeah. or iPhone three. I've been there forever. I still play them almost daily. They're just games I can sit down and play for 10 minutes and then move on with my life. I like threes. I, um, that that's kind of that one. And is it word you is the other one? I, yeah. I mean this, yeah, as I say, there's those games I've, I've found quite good for just, um, yeah, there are moments when you when you have to you need you've got I won't call it time to kill, but you know what I mean. I, I think do. bathroom games they're called, are they? Yes. Yeah. So, but I but I'm interested. I'm I'm also interested in the storytelling aspects of games as well, and I think that it's a, a really a, an unexplored medium for me. I I uh, I should do better at um looking into it, especially uh, I mean, what you've just described with it. What was it called? It's called Never Alone key edition ki edition um it does also have uh all of these interviews with uh inuit oh, wow. elders basically and it it goes as you progress through the story it goes into actual insights into the culture that's cool yeah, yeah. oh wow it's it looks amazing it is like just watching the movements of the characters and it, yeah it's beautiful it's a gorgeous game Mm, cool very nice oh well i'm uh if i if i lose myself to gaming i'm gonna blame you i'll take it yeah. <laughs> fair enough so i guess that's so that yeah. leaves me with one more uh have you do you make much music on ios i do mm. i so this pick is um is the beat maker 3 app by i think it's intua yeah have you come across it? I've um, used, used Beatmaker 1. 
Mm, the yeah. very first one, and that was years ago, and it was fun, but I have not seen it for a long time. If you've ever, um, if you've ever made any music with Ableton, yeah, on the Mac, yeah, I think uh, I think they've done a really good. One of the things that frust that probably frustrated me uh, a bit with making music on on the iPad was was I guess is this the way that that the interaction model had never really caught up with the kind of intention of how you put together songs and it never really I felt like a, there's not a lot of apps that had taken advantage of the fact that it's an entirely different way to think about things and um and you know so you get a lot of admittedly amazing sounding um synth and that sort of thing that are just you know skewer morphs and um but I feel like something with Beatmaker 3 I feel like they've done something that's they've made an app that seems to me feels very ios so i feel it's taking the kind of some of the the concepts that you get with ableton the, um the, both the um, composition and the kind of aspects of um scene making and uh live you know you, you could perform live with it as well i think they've done a really Good job. I had the the first one, the Beat, Beatmaker 2, I think I had, which I liked, but I could never really get into it. Um, but this one, I find that I'm playing with it more and more. It reminds me a little bit of Gadget. Have you played with Gadget? No. Core Gadget. Yeah. The difference is that it has a really, really cool onboard sequencer and sampler. So you can, with Beatmaker, you can actually import, I mean, you can do it with Gadget as well, but there's so many kind of, with Core Gadget, there's a lots of, um, you know, in-app purchases, and it's very self-contained. So when you're working with Korg stuff, you're working with Korg stuff. Um, you know, they have good MIDI support and that sort of thing. But Beatmaker sort of, I feel like it opens up the entire, um, like they've embraced the audio unit, um, the the protocols of audio units. So and as more and more app makers are starting to kind of make apps that use that then you know you're you're able to use beatmaker as a host and uh it's it's cool i rec i recommend playing with it is, um, is it ipad only it's a good question actually i uh I, yeah I compatible with ipad so i was looking yeah. it up on my phone and only beatmaker yeah. 2 is coming up with the description that starts with beatmaker 3 is now available but there's no yeah so yeah, yeah. i'd have to check it out on my ipad yeah it's um if, I mean, I, I, yeah, if you enjoy kind of, like, if you ever enjoyed Ableton and you enjoy making music on iOS, uh, I think, yeah, I think you have some fun. Yeah, I, uh, I, back when I had a PC, I used to do a lot with Fruity Loops. Yeah. And this would yeah, have yeah. been, uh, this would have been at least a decade ago. Um, yeah, I remember. But they, that came out for iOS. The Fruity yeah, Loops they have, Studio is out. Yeah, they've in fact they've released a, a new um, a version not that long ago, I think. Yeah, um, I haven't tried it. It's, but... Yeah, I have a problem. I, I'm like a, I'm like, if if you could be a kind of a music app kleptomaniac, well, not that I steal them, <laughs> but um, but you know, like I like yeah. I have an impulse to just kind of collect these things, and so I have ridiculous amounts of music apps that I still haven't kind of properly made the most of. But um, yeah, me too. I just Mm, I really like them. I, uh, I think it's it's an underrated. It's kind. Of, I guess it's seen as a bit of a a niche platform, and I think I don't, like for me that kind of devalues it in a way, and it all kind of delegitimizes 
the idea of making music on iOS. I mean, you think um, way back when Gorillaz made that album that was mostly composed on, and that was about six or seven years ago, it was mostly composed on one of the Moog apps, I think. Yeah. Um, so you can do some pretty cool things with music. And, you know, I mean, these devices are incredibly powerful now. So what you could do then is nothing compared to what you can do now. Yeah. I keep deleting Sample Tank off my iPad. It just uh, keeps, that's one of the, I keep running yeah. out of space. Mm. And it's never been so useful that I could justify gigs and gigs of storage. Yeah, yeah. And and this is pro- part of the problem, right? It's been a, um, a hardware problem as well, especially with your w- working. Like it's one thing to have really amazing sound fonts to work with, but when you're starting to work with samples, then you've got a space issue as well. And it's not like you can... <laughs> performing live with an iPad and and um and you know um engaging samples from iCloud at the same time is probably not the best way to <laughs> to utilize the system. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's getting better, right? Like you know, I have 256 gig on this iPad Pro and then to date that's been plenty for me. Yeah, I still have an iPad Air 2. Hey, there's a lot you can do with that. Yeah. There actually is. It it's it, I like I'll hook my guitar in through that and then I have a series of iRig pedals that I can control effects from a Bluetooth pedal and it's a just that alone it's a whole guitar studio it's kind of amazing it is amazing mm. anyway all right so my last pick is a little weird I guess um, it was inspired by uh, I have to look this up real quick uh, someone mentioned in the slack room uh, I was Jeff Youngstrom mentioned an instant read thermometer and the one that he liked was no longer available. So I, I started looking at the others and then I ended up buying one called the Thermopop and it is excellent for like 12 bucks. It, it's a little, it looks like a teardrop with a needle on it and you can take uh, readings in just a couple seconds uh, with the probe and you can, tap a button on the teardrop and it will rotate the display 90 degrees at a time. So you can have it show you the temperature at any angle. Is it, are you, is this for cooking? Is that what you? Yeah. Yeah. Kitchen yeah, thermometer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Or, yeah. or commonly a meat thermometer, yeah. but <laughs> it is, it yeah. is viable in a vegan setup as well. Yeah. I um, think you're taking temperature of the garden or something like that. So this isn't, you can't find this particular model on Amazon. There is a newer model that Amazon does carry, but uh, you can see the uh, the teardrop version at thermalworks.com slash thermopop. Um, I, I haven't tried the newer model. All I can say is that this one was cheap and really fast. I really like nice. it. I like it. I I, uh, I I feel like given the kind of um, very eclectic, diverse nature of our conversation, it wasn't so weird. It was appropriate that it was a little bit, bit um, different. Shall we You've say? heard this show. I have. I have a hard have. time staying on. Yeah. Even important topics, even topics I really care about, my brain eventually hits a point where it's time for the next topic, and that's usually a draw out of a hat. <laughs> it figuratively was, um, speaking. <laughs> it was the most obvious show for me to come on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, good start. All right. Well, thank you for, for showing up. 
Hey, my pleasure. It was absolutely, yeah, it was, it was great. It's been a lot of fun and uh, I really enjoyed talking. And I can tell everyone just based on the communication that Jay and I had before, we didn't begin to cover all of the crazy and interesting aspects of his life uh, that may require a follow-up, but this was definitely a blast. Uh, awesome. I'm, uh, I'm available anytime for a follow-up. Just probably right. next year, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some breathing breathing room. Um, <laughs> exactly. And then you can be found on Twitter at uh, Skeptomania, S-K-E-P-T-I-M-A-N-I-A. And you have a website at Appademic.tech, as I mentioned before. And anywhere else you want to mention? No, I mean, if you drop me a line there, if you if you go to the website, then you there's a, a way to get in touch with me for email. If you want, uh, I'm a pretty friendly person. If you if you do get in touch, I tend to reply. All right, and I'm Brett Terpstra. I'm at TT Scoff on Twitter, GitHub, Last.fm, everywhere, and you can find me at brettterpstra.com. And I will also remind people that there is a giveaway for the uh, 10 annual memberships for Read It For Me uh, that we started a couple weeks ago. So if you go to brettterpshire.com slash readitforme, you can just drop an email and a name in there and we'll be drawing those. I'm, I'm running it for a while. Uh, we'll be drawing those at the end of this month. And also you can follow Systematic on Twitter at systemcast, uh, no E, and you can join the community at signup.systemcast.net. So stay in touch, everybody. And Jay, I hope to hear more from you. You too, Brett. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you in a week. Bye.